Well, tonight's message is entitled, Struck by Lightning. And I want to begin by uh, asking if anyone here has seen the new Avengers movie in the Infinity Wars. Anyone? All right, a few of us. All right, all right. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big comic book movie fan, and I, I, I have to talk about this. Um, and, and for those of you who haven't seen it, I, I promise no spoilers, um, but this is also like, like I, I, may, I may get a commission if I get you to go see it, Okay. But I mean, I care about it. I mean, it's like it has made 1.2 billion dollars in 12 days. Like that—that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, 1.2 billion dollars in 12 days. So I'm interested on it in, in a few levels. Uh, one, as as just a cultural observer, you know, what is what, why are people finding this to be so captivating? You know, what do people spend their time and attention on? Like this, this is one of those things. And two, as a pastor, as a spiritual type. Uh, I, I'm always struck by, by what intrigues people, okay? Like, like what, what do people thirst for? What, what, do people look, what, what do people look for meaning in? Okay? And movies and narratives and this the sort of thing, you know, they have a place. Not the only place, but they have a place. And I've long been fascinated by comic book stories and hero movies. And if you've been around me and, and some of my, my sermons over the past few years, you, you, you may have heard me reference a few movies and a few heroes over the years. And I'm very intrigued by protagonists that do superhero types of things. And I'm also interested in villains as well, because I think we get a picture of our humanity and also what we hope to see in God and divinity in, in, in these types of stories. So Superman is the easiest, easiest example I can think of. Someone who is stronger and faster and braver and more honorable than anyone else, right? Like, this is what makes him Superman. And he fights against evildoers and he does these just, justice type of things. I remember as a kid watching him in cartoons and he would, he would fight Lex Luthor, an evildoer, and he would also catch falling planes from terrible tragedies out of the air, and that seemed like a really, really God thing to be, right? This is, this is kind of what we want. Someone to do those two things, confront evil and save us from tragedy. And, and our hero stories and narratives, they've evolved over the years. And we're getting now more hero movies in our theaters because the technology has finally caught up with the imagination. And we have like these great special effects that can kind of pull off these live action movies. And so we get to learn about heroes and villains. And so this new Avengers Infinity War, like it, it's, it's a thing. It really is a thing. Like they've made 18 of these, uh, of this particular Marvel comic universe type of a thing. This is the 18th one and more are coming, just, 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 just know. So we learned in the previews in this movie that there's this villain named Thanos, okay? And he is a ruthless warlord from a faraway galaxy, from a, from a, a, a planet called Titan. And again, I won't ruin anything, but, um, you know, it's important to people like me to make sure that the movie makers got it right, okay? So, like, you know, there's, there's like this whole, you know, comic book culture about it. And, and he believes that there are too many people in the universe, okay? He, he believes that the universe is overpopulated and it has made everything unsustainable. And these things are kind of, you know, there's an allegory to these things, right? If, you've, if you're concerned with overpopulation, he believes that we don't have enough food, we don't have enough shelter, we don't have enough opportunities. This limits 
the opportunities for the people that we care about, uh, and this, this limits the happiness of, 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 of the universe, basically. So he thinks half the population needs to be wiped out. That would bring balance. So he thinks he is noble, and we would find, of course, this to be horrifying, and that's why there are heroes that exist that are going to, that are going to save the universe before he can click his fingers and wipe out half the universe, because that's the whole plot of the movie. In one scene in the movie, though, Thanos and his henchmen uh, have, have defeated this uh, people on, on board the spaceship, and one of his henchmen is, is making this proclamation, and he says something to the effect of, hear me and rejoice. You are about to die at the hands of Thanos. Be thankful that your meaningless lives have now contributed something significant to the balance. Your death serves a higher purpose. It, and it goes on and on and on. And you're in the theater, you're listening to this, and you're like, wow, that is alien comic book propaganda. And it sounds very much like any other form of propaganda, quite frankly. Spinning the acts of destruction and evil and trying to make it sound good and noble. Thanos, and here's where it becomes relevant to us in church, he sees himself as a god. And he is the epitome of self-righteousness. He is the epitome of that idea of might makes right. And I know for some of us, like, we're not interested in this sort of thing. This sounds like, oh, this is really cute. Please get on with your sermon. But here's my problem with it. Here's my problem with it and what, what makes it, I think, compelling to us tonight. Some of us see the true and living God, Yahweh, very similarly to that. Here's what I mean. Some of us see the true living God as a God of wrath. Some of us see the true and living God as a God that is arbitrary, some of us see the true and living God as, as a God that loves and saves us if we say and do the right things to him. If you've ever had the thought that I better be on my best behavior in order to increase the chances of this prayer being answered, you believe in a form of this really poor version of God. You believe almost in a comic book God. Because God is just so much better than those types of things. We'll come back to this. But we are in week six of our new series, Unbroken, that kicked off on Easter. And we've been working our way through the themes found in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And here in this section, we want to look at some of the most essential words of Paul's overall ministry and how he perceives God and how he perceives how we fit into this incredible role that we get to play in God's kingdom. And to, to kind of get to the shortcut of like all the theological and practical principles and tenets that, that Paul is describing, to get us up to chapter 5, Paul is saying, because of Jesus, everything has changed. Because of Jesus, everything has changed. And so I want to read to you 2 Corinthians 5, 16, right in the middle of the context, right, right in the middle of the, 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 the chapter here. And it reads, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he, was, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. 
we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh man, I mean like there is so much good stuff in that passage. And the first thought that we want to unpack in this is, is that line in verse 17, and this idea of being a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Isn't that just a great, just a great set of words? The old has gone, the new is here. I mean, N.T. Wright describes when, when a new world is born, N.T. Wright is a great theologian, like one of the greatest Western theologians ever. So like, we, 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 it's good to pay attention to what he says about this stuff. And he says, when, the, when a new world is born, there's a new way of living that comes with it. Okay, there's a new way of living that comes with it, being in the new world. For instance, when a couple has their first baby, okay, everything changes, right? I mean, we, we get to witness this in, in, in our own right. There's, there are new responsibilities. There are new rhythms. There's all this new stuff. And all of a sudden, the very same people who said we would never drive a minivan are now lusting over minivans, Right? You, how many cup holders are in that thing? Because we need one not just for the cups, but we need it for the pacifiers and for the goldfish and for the toys and all sorts of things. You can never have enough too many. You can never have too many uh, cup holders in a van, right? And they, and and now there's no going back either, right? It's a whole new world. Same thing when when someone moves to a new country, there are new laws. There are new customs. There's a new language. And if that person continues to use the old language and the old customs, they're not going to fit in. They're going to be lost, and they might even find themselves in trouble. That's what happens when we also enter into the gospel of Jesus. We live out this new narrative. We live in this new world, and we can't be our old selves and experience the beauty and the richness and the love that is found in this new world. And in order to appreciate this, I think we actually have to go back a verse to verse 16. It, it says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So like there's this old, old way of, of looking at things. I mean, I want to ask you tonight, do you feel new? Does the way that you look at the world feel new? I mean, most of us don't just shoot our hands up and say, yes, yes, everything feels new. In fact, that's one of our ongoing frustrations is that things don't feel new. Things feel stale. Things, things feel old. Things feel, feel like they're stuck in, in some, some form of a rut. And yet, if we pay attention, God is trying to show us something new. How differently do you, have you viewed the world, though, since you've, since you've embraced the, the love of Jesus, for those of you who have embraced the love of Jesus, we, we, we've said in, in, in previous messages, here again, the context of what Paul is writing in, in 2 Corinthians really matters. Because Paul is writing to recent converts in the city of Corinth. He is writing to Jewish believers in Corinth, and he's also writing to non-religious people, non-people who have non-faith backgrounds, and, and they are trying to make sense of this new system of seeing things. And he's saying, you are now a new creation. And I think also what's interesting for the letters of First and Second Corinthians, they are among the, the, the earliest writings that we have in the New Testament, which means this happens relatively early in, in Paul's 
in, in Paul's ministry, if, if you will. So Paul himself, he was born into a Jewish home. He's a Jewish rabbi. I mean, like a legitimate trained Jewish scholar. But Paul has been Jewish longer than he has been a Christian. At most, at most he's been a Christian since that Damascus Road experience where he was struck by lightning in that sense. At most, he's been a Christian for 20 years, which means some of us have been Christians longer than Paul was at the writing of this letter, including myself. I'm like, I'm, I'm just a little, like, I, I felt myself kind of chewing on that as I was preparing for this message. Like, I guess I've been a Christian longer than Paul was as he was writing this message. And, and I'm not saying that doesn't put me in any, you know, there's, there's no real scale to this thing. It's just, it's just perspective of, of old and new. And this felt very new to him. And I hope it feels new to you. Because it's not just about how long you've been a Christian. It's how, you, how new you see the world. Are you still learning the new things of God? Because if, you, if you're stuck in an old pattern, you're losing something. Jesus gives us a whole new way to see the world. Because of Jesus, we see the world in a whole new way. Moving on to verse 18. He says, All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us to us the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation, that's one of those really churchy-sounding words, isn't it? It's like sanctification and justification, and confession and reconciliation. I mean, wow, these are, these are just like really fun words, aren't they? But they are. I mean, like once we start really understanding what reconciliation really is about, I mean, they're pretty, they're pretty amazing. They, they just unfortunately get stuck in that whole boring theology type of sound. But to, to, to borrow uh, from, 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 from great scholars again, What's interesting about this idea of reconciliation is that God has not invaded this world like an alien villain saying, I'm going to lay claim on this thing. Instead, God is redeeming this world back to him. God is saying, you are my beloved creation. You are, are in this beautiful world and we are going to redeem this. I'm go- I want to have you back. I want to be reconciled to you. It's like a, a great symphony of reconciliation composed on that hill of Calvary. And, and we, we get to play our parts in this symphony. That's what this type of Christian reconciliation looks like, we're, we, where we get to be reconciled to God and reconciled with each other as we play this beautiful symphony to, the, to a world in need, a world that is hungry for something beautiful like this. Because... In Christ, something new has actually happened. And it needs to hear this message of reconciliation. And this is what Paul is inviting us to. And so here at this point in the sermon, like, I, I, I would like to give us a, a little bit of that gut check. Where, where, where I hope these words don't just wash over us. Where I hope we just don't read these words and we gloss over them on the page. But instead where we ask ourselves, do we really believe that there is a God worth being reconciled to. Because if we're half-efforted in that, we're going to find that reconciliation doesn't really mean a whole lot. 
And we're also going to find that our worship isn't really that significant. And we're also going to find some, some ideological problems like in the, in the problem of pain and evil and suffering. We're never going to be satisfied with the answers that we find. And we're not going to be satisfied with this hope that we, th- that we sing about if we're not fully reconciled to this amazing God. If you believe that God loves you and that your response to God is one out of love back, that is a great start for reconciliation. But if you, believe, if you have some fear, if you're not sure if God is angry with you, and, and that is a predominant tone in your relationship with him, you're going to miss the fullness of reconciliation. I talk to people who are not convinced that God really loves them. I mean, they, they'll, they'll say things like, I, I know that I'm supposed to believe this, but I have a hard time believing that God really loves me because of, because of the things that I have done. And I think it, it seems that God might love other people more. And I'm telling you, that's the sort of thought that we're going after tonight. That's what we want to confront. Because if, if you're stuck on that, you're going to, again, miss the fullness of reconciliation. And all these things that we go through with, with, with worship, they, they're going to feel like hoops that we're jumping in. I don't know about you, but I have paid lip service before, right? I remember as a kid when my parents made me say sorry to, to someone that I really wasn't sorry to or for, Right? And they kind of drag you up to, 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 the, to the moment and say sorry. And you're like, oh, I'm sorry. And it's not really a great sorry, right? But like it's, it's the best that you can do in that moment. I also remember paying lip service in, in, in other ways. Like when I was 15 and I fell in love with, with a really, really great girl. And it was real love. Okay, it's 15-year-old real love, okay? And, and it was great. We, we were having a great week together. And she came up to me at, at the end of that week, and I thought she was going to tell me about her undying love for me. But instead, she said, you know, I think we're better off as friends. And I, because I'm quick on the draw, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I think that's what I was thinking too. We should be friends. Yeah, yeah. And she would say, like, I'm not really ready for a relationship at this point. And not a serious one. I'm like, yeah, 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 me either, me either, yeah, yeah, that's, that's great. And then the very next week, I saw her holding hands with what appeared to be her soulmate. And then she saw me in the hallway, so she waved to me. And I waved back in happiness for them. Like, yes, great to see you. I'm so glad that I have not kept you from true happiness and true love, right? Like, this is, this is lip service type of a thing, right? We, we, don't, we don't feel good about any of this. And that's funny, and it's silly, and it's silly now, but I mean, at 15, it's a real thing. But do we do this with God, too? I mean, do we do this with God, too? Do we just say these things to God in in hopes that that he is just not going to get us? I mean, have you seen this this Facebook comic that I I laugh at every time I see it? Uh, For those of you who are listening and watching, um, is, is, is this famous picture of Jesus knocking on the door to your heart, but it's like a wooden door, okay? And Jesus knocking on the door and says, let me in. And on the other side of the door, it says, why? And Jesus responds, so I can save you. And smartly from the other side of the door, from what? From what I'm going to do to you if you don't let me in. <laughs> oh, man. Now, it makes me laugh and it makes me sad, okay? Now, if, if, you li- if you're like me and you, you like making jokes that intentionally miss the point, this is great. But 
I'm also saddened by those who might actually see this as real theology or as, as a representation of our theology. And it's also just really bad logic. I mean, in, in this case, Jesus is a blackmailer. In this case, Jesus is arguably a terrorist who commands that we believe in him or we will perish, which is just like that comic book villain that we talked about earlier in the movie. You better do this or you can't be reconciled. But that's not what the New Testament is teaching at all. You know, you, you can take that heretical thing down now. <laughs> but this isn't what the New Testament is teaching us at all. I mean, hell, whatever it actually is and whatever it actually looks like, is probably best understood as being forever separated from the presence of God. And there's a lot of symbolism and, 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 and ways to understand it given, given to us through scripture and through tradition. We don't know if hell is a place of fire. We don't know if, place, if it is a garbage dump. We don't know if the fire is real fire, the way we think of it, or is it black fire? We don't know about the worms. We, we, we don't know about the gnashing of teeth and all those things, okay? Like, those are all descriptions of a place where you don't want to be. Like, those are the point of the descriptions. The, the thing that should horrify us about hell is that this is the place where God is not present. This is where God is not there. That is the worst type of isolation that, that we can fathom. And so we call that, we call that hell. And so we have to respond to Jesus' love, not out of fear that we might go to hell, but we respond to Jesus' love because we love him. Not because there's any fear, but because we love him. Which brings us to this idea of being struck by lightning. If you're afraid of not believing because you're afraid that God is going to strike you down, not maybe, not maybe with a lightning bolt, with, but with maybe a, a form of disease or, or some type of misfortune or, or something really terrible, I would like to talk you out of that, that position tonight. Struck by lightning. I, I went back and forth if I wanted to title this message after something like that. I looked up some, some, some numbers on, on, on such a terrible tragedy. Lightning kills about 50 people a year, give or take. It's rare, but, but every death is tragic. But again, I couldn't shake this feeling that, that people have this idea or this image of God that, that he is up there striking people down. And, and something bad might happen to me if I don't give God what he wants. Or nothing good is ever going to happen to me if I don't give him what he wants. That's another way of thinking about it. I do have, uh, maybe you can tell at this point, I, I do have a quirky sense of humor. And so when I see a sign for the Powerball lottery, I think of lightning and sharks. Why? Because one day I read an article that said, you are more likely to get struck by lightning than to win the Powerball. <laughs> or you are more likely to get eaten by a shark than to win the Powerball lottery. In fact, sharks kill about 80 people a year throughout the world. So 50 die from lightning, 80 by sharks. The odds makers tell us that you have a better chance of getting struck by lightning while getting eaten by a shark than winning the lottery, the Powerball lottery that is. Which I've seen enough comic book movies to know that if you are struck by lightning while getting eaten by a shark, the energy from the lightning will fuse your DNA with the, with the DNA of the shark. And not only will you survive that, but you will become a superhero. I mean, all, all this time you wanted to have extra strength and like the, the gift of flight. But imagine what you can do with like an extra row of teeth and a lot of cartilage, right? 
I mean, Hammerhead Man and the Adventures of Shark Woman. I mean, like that. I digress. I I digress. (laughs) But but tonight I want to describe to you a different type of struck by lightning. And one that happened to me in my college years. I was was one of those um, people who just, I loved God, but I I, I really wanted to understand what what God was, was really about. And I, and I had all these doubts and questions, even though I was studying theology. And the more theology that you study, and maybe you can relate to this, the more sometimes you study the Bible, the more questions you, you find, and you're like, oh my goodness, I, it just gets worse, <laughs> right? And, 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 now, and I'm going into the ministry over this, and I'm like, oh. And I had found myself with uh, trying to prepare for a, a final exam in what was the quiet part of the library. And not only was I trying to prepare for the exam, but I was kind of having like this, this, this crisis of faith at the same time. It was, like, it was my junior year, and I, I started to come to grips with this idea that, like, I'm not sure that I, I like God. God seemed more likable when I was a kid, and the more I was getting to know God, the more I wasn't sure about him. I mean, the God of the Old Testament, I mean, like, it seemed that I, have a, I had a higher standard of righteousness than the God that just seemed really wrathful type of a thing. A God that, like, if he was so powerful, why couldn't he give people a little bit more benefit of the doubt? Why was there all this suffering? And, and, and I, I was coming to grips with all of this, and I was really, really struggling. And this, this was also becoming an obstacle for my prayer life, because it's really hard to pray to a God like that. I mean, it's really hard to trust a God like that. It's, it's hard to confide in a God like that. And why would I confess my sins to a God like that when I thought I was arguably morally more superior than, than a God like that. And it dawned on me for, in, that, in, the, in, the, in the, just the low of the moment that I like my friends more than I like God. It dawned on me that I think my friends are more trustworthy than God. It dawned on me that like, my, my friends would make a better God than God. And then the next logical moment happened. And like, my friends are dumb. <laughs> my friends are bad. My friends don't always call back. My friends are always wrong, especially when they're you know, at odds with me, right? Which means I would make a better God than my friends. And I find myself spiraling in this like, terrible form of logic. And at that moment, I felt like I was being struck by lightning. Oh my goodness. God is good. I just have a really terrible view of God. I had a very small view of God. I had heard sermons about that all the time when someone says, your God isn't big enough. And I, and I, and I just never knew exactly what that meant. Like, well, how, how much bigger does, does your God need to be type of thing? And it's said like in times of perseverance, like you trust God enough because he's big and able to provide that sort of thing. But I also underestimated God's mercy. I also underestimated God's justice. I also underestimated my limitations and just how incredible and how wise God actually was. And that was my, in that way, that was my lightning strike of, I'm not sure if I'm going to ever be able to understand the problem of evil and suffering, but I am going to trust that God is is more just in dealing with this problem than I give him credit for. That was a whole new whole new chapter of faith. And I, and I ask you tonight, do, do you need a lightning strike like that in your own way? 
Not, not in my way, but do you need a moment like that from God where, where it feels different, that it's not this, it's not this version or this, this vision that I had of God, it's, it's something much bigger. If you need that, I invite you to pray for that because that is a paradigm shifter. And that is also what it means in Paul's words here to move from that, that old way of looking at things to this new creation. And that may be something that you are missing tonight. If your Christianity, if your faith feels stale, this, this might be the reason for it. And this also, again, might be the reason why you may not actually feel, feel fully reconciled to God. If there's something that feels hindering or limited, limiting to you. As we move into the last piece of this night, we, we, we look, like, look at these last two verses. Verse 20, it says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Once we are reconciled to God, then we get to be his ambassadors. Because when there's a new king, when there's a new person in charge, then that person sends out the word through these ambassadors. And if you're a cynical person like me, you, you, you pick up on these words like ambassadors and you're like, oh yeah, there's another euphemism. It just makes me feel a little bit better about myself. Ambassadors, you are an ambassador. And, and like, it's, it's kind of like junior partner, right? I, my first job, I, was, I worked at, it's probably one of my favorite jobs. Some days I like it more than the ministry. My first job was being an ice cream scooper at an ice cream shop. The reason is, like, everybody's happy to see you. I mean, everybody loves getting ice cream, and you hand them ice cream, and they're happy. And back in those days, ice cream didn't cost $5 for, like, a cone. Like, it was, like, you know, two bucks, right? And it was a really great job. And they, they made me the junior manager of the ice cream shop. But the junior manager didn't make any more money than anybody else in the ice cream shop the junior manager just had to change the cones and like rotate the ice cream and get the cups out and all this stuff and rotate the money and all that stuff, right? It was a euphemism type of a thing. It didn't mean anything. In this way, ambassadors doesn't mean that at all. Ambassador actually means something. Note that Paul didn't use a messenger. The messenger is not the same thing as an ambassador. Sometimes the messenger doesn't even know what the message is. Think FedEx, I mean, many times the messenger has no idea what was contained. But the ambassador is totally different. The ambassador has been sent out by the king to embody the message and also to proclaim the message. So this incredible moment that we are being invited into on God's behalf is something that we really, really can't drop the ball on. It's up to us to be God's ambassadors of this new kingdom, about this new king, about this message of reconciliation. And, and it's, it's in this that, you know, you know we, 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 we tend to get our cues from, from the world and we, we sometimes don't become ambassadors because we don't think we're good enough. And we get our cues from the world where we, where we, where we hear the world saying things to us like, well, you're, you're, you're this level. Well, you're, you're nice, but you're, 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 you're over here. You're not really significant. You're not going to be invited to give a TED Talk on the national stage type of a thing, right? We get our cues from the world. But friends, you are not your credit score. You are not your resume. You, you are not 
the number of Facebook friends that you have or your social media profile. You are a beloved person, completely beloved by God. God is in love with you. God is in love with me, and this should humble us. And this is why he wants us to be his ambassadors, every single one of us. You are beloved by God, and you are so worth being reconciled with. And the person next to you also deserves and is in need of that reconciliation. Again, the ambassador is the one that the king has sent And we need ambassadors today. We need ambassadors of reconciliation in 2018. We need many forms of reconciliation in this broken world. We need reconciliation between men and women in our ongoing gender equity conversations. We need healing and reconciliation in the gay and transgender community. We need healing and reconciliation in our racial divide. We need healing and reconciliation in our ideological and political and societal debates and divides and battles, in our families, in our churches, in our communities, in our nations. The list just keeps going. We need ambassadors of all kinds to bring these forms of reconciliation. But the one that where it all starts is in being reconciled to the one and only true and living God. It's in God's love. It's in God's power. It's in his grace. And that's what Paul is teaching here in this passage and here tonight, our big idea is this. We become unbroken when we become a new creation in Christ. And we become a new creation when we are reconciled. And when we are reconciled, we become ambassadors for the new king and the new world. And so as we leave our time tonight, can I invite you to consider a few questions here? Is it possible that you have limited your reconciliation to God because you have a small view of God? Is it possible that you have limited your reconciliation to God because you have a small view of God? Is your vision of God that he's petty, that he is judgmental? Do you have a friend in mind that would make a better God than who God is? Because that that would be an indicator that your vision of God is too small. Do you see God similar to a comic book villain? Do you see yourself as a new creation? I mean, when you see yourself as a new creation, it ought to feel good. It ought to feel beautiful. It ought to feel powerful. Do you see yourself as that? And lastly, do you see yourself as one of God's ambassadors? If you feel hesitation on any of these questions, I, I invite you to close this time with me by, by really reflecting on these words that, that, we will, that I will read to you together here in this passage that we've been looking at. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
God who made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, those are true and powerful and amazing words. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for these true and amazing words. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us unpack them more and more into our hearts. And not only unpack them, but you help us to live them out, Lord, by your strength and by the, the power of your spirit. Show us, Lord, what it means to have a bigger vision of who you are. We ask you, Lord, that you would continue to teach us new things. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us what it truly means to be truly reconciled to you and that we would be your faithful ambassadors to a world that is in need. So as we leave this place, Lord, we pray that you would meet us exactly where we are at with all the problems and challenges that we face in our daily lives. We pray, Lord, that you that you speak to us there and so that we might become your ambassadors of reconciliation to a world. Give us your strength, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.